Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking as always. So today actually a bit of a news flash pod and um, I'm going to start calling these news flash from now on instead of breaking news. It's just that there's a couple of other podcasts that say have breaking news uh, episodes and just to kind of, you know, not to tread on anybody's toes and to set mine apart slightly, you know, just so that it's uh, it's a bit clearer what's what. I'm going to go with news flash. So, um, yeah, this is a bit of a, a roundup. I'm not going to do these every week, the news flash ones, because I don't want to just do things for the sake of it. But there's been quite a lot happening this week, so I thought I'd uh, be worth getting a bit of a roundup of the week's events, really, or um, the last few days' events, and and just get my little reactions in. Um, I always seem to get messages off people when I do these, so obviously people, you know, enjoy the the little roundup episodes. So let's get into it. Quite a few things happening this week, then. Um, Probably the most significant thing over the last couple of days has been the uh, rubber duck uh, video. So essentially, uh, that is a video which had been mentioned um, on uh, the uh, Disclosure Team uh, uh, podcast with Vinny. And and Vinny's uh, podcast, great podcast as well, just in general. Uh, Vinny's a member of the UAP Media UK. uh, So always always worth checking out um, the guests that that Vinny has uh, on his podcast. But it was Andy from uh, NYUAP Discussion who was the actual guest and Basically, he was saying that he's got this video uh, that had been leaked from somebody in the Department Department of Homeland Security, DHS. And uh, it's always a tricky one, that DHS, because I'm pretty sure there's a sofa company called that in the UK, or is that DFS? And then there's DHL, so it gets a bit <laughs> gets a bit com- complicated. But I'll try and say it correctly: DHS, Department Department of Homeland Security, and. Basically, this video was, uh, it's fair to say it was massively hyped up. So um, we'd, we'd heard, you know, I hadn't been really following it that closely. I'd, I'd seen a couple of summaries in people's comments um, about the appearance from Andy on the uh, Disclosure Team uh, podcast, but I hadn't actually seen the whole thing myself. Um, I'd noticed a couple of other people saying that the video was coming out and then followed... Um, you know the story a bit more closely on Twitter, and um, but essentially it was being said that it was a long video. It was about sixty minutes long, and it included a forty-minute section of tracking UAP via a FLIR camera. And apparently it was supposed to be HD and better than anything else that's out there at the moment in terms of footage and and all this kind of thing. Now. First of all, I'm just not really a big fan of hyping up things in this way. I mean, obviously, it is what it is. Everybody's got their own way of doing things. And um, there's the Jeremy Corbell type of approach of getting videos out. And there's, you know, there's often with these types of things, there's a bit of a rush to kind of see you can get it out the quickest and stuff. And um, or you know, build up the most hype, really, should I say? Because often I think you know these videos end up getting you know sat on the on the back burner for you know a year if you listen to what jeremy corbell says he ends up having to go through all these different steps to verify the video and so on before he puts anything out but once it's actually out then there's a rush of or any kind of leaked videos that come out all of the various different news 
you know accounts on on twitter or i'll rush in to kind of report on it the soonest and you know the, the hype surrounding these videos is always you know it's a bit gets a bit cringeworthy for, for my liking to be quite honest and this was a bit like that um and it's just one of those isn't it where when you say something's the most incredible thing ever it's never really going to live up to those expectations and i think this video certainly suffered from that a little bit um but not only that it was it was kind of like i mean for me you could say that this was like the blueprint of how not to drop a video because it was just handled pretty badly in my opinion it was you know said okay we're going to announce the video is going to be coming out later today and then when it was announced it turned out that the nyuap discussion twitter account was um but really bafflingly kind of putting tweets out every like five ten minutes saying about the progress of the video upload and then there was apparently some problem with the internet and i don't really know i mean that could have been avoided so easily by just uploading the video in advance with a with a published date you know i don't understand why it was done that way could have possibly been just to drum up more interest to get more publicity around the actual release of the video i don't really i wouldn't like to speculate any other reasons but it was definitely not ideal the way that that happened and not only that the the, the i don't really know andy from ny uap discussion but um quite a kind of a a, a confrontational uh, approach in terms of dealing with people on twitter about the release of the video which is not how i would have done it but fair play to him that's his way of you know that's his way of, of putting things out and i guess that's just the way he is as a guy so you know i'm not going to slate him as an individual it's his approach but i don't think that was a very good way of handling it and and certainly not um you know the way that we're trying to you know legitimize the uap topic um you know kind of getting going on big sweary rants on twitter and and you know trying to insult people who don't agree with you know the, the your your um conclusions from the video is not good and it's basically the whole opposite of what i try and do with my approach to this topic but you know it is what it is that's that's just happened the way it happened and the video is now out and fair play to him though i have to say for doing the work to you know get the video out you know like i say i don't really like the way that it came out but that's the way it happened but fair play to him for doing the actual work as to you know whatever he's done behind the scenes to be able to get this video out you know gotta respect it so um what's worth pointing out is there was some mention a while back about uh the the videos that were seen in the classified briefings to congress um following the uap task force report um a while ago and apparently this is not that video and that this was not a video that was shown um during that briefing it, the quote was something along the lines of we were shown um you know like 40 minutes of sci-fi or something something like that um, and you know basically hinting that the videos that were seen were pretty mind-blowing uh, but this is not that video apparently and this is something separate to that um but uh, in terms of the actual footage itself then so it's a FLIR um camera which has been mounted to some kind of as far as i can tell a surveillance aircraft and um what actually happens is um about 20 minutes into the video a 
object appears which resembles kind of vaguely a rubber duck hence the name of the the, the video has been kind of you know it's been uh, named the the rubber duck video sort of unofficially because it sort of looks a bit like a rubber duck if you imagine it's like um i guess kind of like a disc shape with like a little thing that pops up at the top of it with a little kind of looks like a ball on top a bit like the shape of a rubber duck basically so that's where the name comes from and what I would say about this particular video is obviously there's been a flurry of kind of debate about it online, people saying this, people saying that. And my initial reaction to it is that it's basically not very impressive in terms of observables. So, you know, the, the five observables, as they say, you know, Lou Elizondo has, has kind of used that as a measure of, of you know, what, what's going on within the footage as to whether or not you can discern whether it actually is a genuine UAP and so on and in this particular video I don't think there really is much in the way of observables we're literally just seeing a weird looking object and it's just being tracked as it just shoots along on a very very straight trajectory the speed does kind of vary a little bit but it's just basically shooting in a straight line there's no kind of like um if, if this object was like doing the classic thing of, of stopping and then instantly accelerating or turning on right angles or zipping up and down like a you know like a like a fly um does uh, as we've heard with a lot of these tic tacs and various different sightings it'd be totally different and that that's kind of what i was you know i wasn't very optimistic that that would be the case but that's what i'm always hoping for whenever a new video comes out if we see something that genuinely stops on you know stops on a dime as they say and then just shoots off at a right angle at instant acceleration that's 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 really when the kind of like you know when the the hairs go up on the back of my neck type of thing you know that's what's so exciting about some of the other footage like the FLIR a one video where the object seems to shoot off again kind of debatable as to whether or not it actually does shoot off but i think that's what really makes that footage quite compelling um but i think more to the point is with that particular footage the FLIR one footage what really makes that compelling is not even the footage itself it's the rest of the backstory which is why this video is completely different to the Nimitz case for that reason because the Nimitz case really the video is the least compelling part of the overall case you know again it's debatable whether or not the object really does shoot off to the left and obviously I've been I've been going on about that on the podcast for ages so I'm, I'm not going to delve back into that for now but you know arguably the footage is kind of the least compelling part or at least the footage itself is only really truly interesting when you consider the rest of the backstory because other than that it's just a little blurry object that you know may or may not show some rapid acceleration and um it's the it's the rest of the story and the witness accounts and the various different witness accounts and the fact that it's supposedly been shown on radar and you you guys if you listen to this podcast you know what i think of the nimitz case it's a case that absolutely blows my mind and it probably in my opinion the most important case um but this this is different to that because it's just footage there's not even any audio on the footage there's no kind of backstory as to whether or not there were multiple observers whether or not there was um you know uh, various different radars that picked it up all we've got is the footage itself and for that reason it's a lot less compelling i think than something like the nimitz uh, encounter videos and also the length of the actual thing itself i mean a lot was made of the fact that it was 40 minutes but realistically 
40 minutes of an object just doing the same thing is not really that interesting anyway. It's a case of like, you know, um, quantity over quality really, I think, because it's, there's nothing in there for me. Obviously, I'm not a FLIR expert. I'm not an expert on using these systems or anything. So there's not really a lot I can make out of the actual the data, the, the the numbers and things on the screen. And and to me, that video could be 10 minutes long, it could be 10 seconds long, it wouldn't really make any difference to me. So I think it's a case of quantity over quality with that one as well. And also worth mentioning is that Lou Elizondo apparently has, has been aware of this video in the past and has commented that he's aware of it, he knows that the SCU are actually looking into it. Um, and uh, I think the comment that Lou Elizondo made was that it could just be balloons. So, as he mentioned, as I mentioned just now, the SCU are actually in the process of doing some further analysis on this particular video, and it could be that you know once that analysis becomes available, that we'll we'll have a lot more. Um, information and, and look you know i don't know all about these numbers on the screen and everything so maybe there's certain information within those numbers that i don't understand that um will be revealed um once this analysis is complete which could make the whole thing a lot more compelling but really we're waiting to see uh, what the the analysis actually is and once all the experts kind of views are in i did see the dave falch um um analysis of this video and he's kind of explaining that the object is cold and all the same temperature but you know the thing that hits me with this and you know again and this is just me coming from the ordinary guy's viewpoint what i think of it but this is as i understand it it's the mexico border that we're talking about here and it's it's actually um the the surveillance equipment in that area is there to specifically catch and people smuggling material across the border now it makes sense to me that a drug smuggling organization would be able to use certain apparently the sprays and such things that you can that you can conceal the temperature of the fans so that they don't appear on um you know the the, the temperature sensing devices which is what you would want to do isn't it if you've got a, a say like a drone for example perhaps a very very expensive very capable drone um, and you want to make sure that's not picked up as it as it takes a very large shipment of very valuable drugs across the border you're not going to just kind of send a stock drone out there to do that and i've actually seen uh, interviews with i forget the name of the guy i was trying to find it earlier but i just couldn't find his name but there was a guy that was um basically in charge of supplying highly advanced technology to the the cartels and various different drug smuggling gangs and I, I, you know i think it was on the joe rogan podcast that i saw this it's probably going back a few months but he was basically saying that during his time of supplying equipment to the cartels and the drug smuggling gangs um he was actually selling them things like full full-on military submarines and that's the level of money and investment that these these gangs actually put into smuggling the drugs because don't forget you know they might not be legal organizations but they're organizations that have got a vast amount of wealth and power so if they can afford a submarine to actually smuggle drugs from one location to another it kind of stands to reason that they have pretty advanced drones and ways of concealing those drones and to me i think that's probably the most likely explanation for what this actually is don't get me wrong you know i would love for when the full analysis is revealed and other people weigh in at more you know with a lot more expertise than what i've got i'd love to hear something other than that but that's what i'm 
my instincts tell me and that's what I would summarise that it is at this moment in time um so yeah that's that's that then the rubber duck video definitely worth mentioning it was interesting and as i say fair play to the guy for getting it out there but that's my thoughts on it at this moment in time um and you know let's move on for now so next up then um there was a bit of a different story this one and i've not heard many people talking about this and i think probably because it's fairly likely to have a prosaic explanation so, but I'm going to go into it anyway because I thought it was interesting. So basically, a US nuclear submarine has hit an unknown object in the South China Sea. Now, I would love for this to be the Black Island that Lou Elizondo's talked about that rises up from the sea and something like that, some kind of un, you know, unknown, unidentified submersible object, a USO, you know. But to be honest, it's not clear at all what caused that incident. Um, and apparently the submarine had remained fully operational despite having hit some unknown object. They, they think that it wasn't another submarine, but whatever it was, um, they've actually collided with, and it was a, a sufficiently violent impact that 11 sailors actually suffered moderate injuries, um, which, again, that suggests that it was quite a significant collision. Um, I, there was another case that I saw that was, um, I can't remember the date now, I think it was something like 2010 or something like that, where a submarine actually hit a mountain, an underwater mountain kind of rocky outcrop thing, and actually a sailor died in, in that, sadly. Um, and in this case, there was no deaths, but there were 11 moderate injuries, uh, which were all treated on board the vessel. Um, so I suppose it's most likely that there was some kind of wreckage, or an object of some description, like, um, you know, a, a, I don't know, a very, very old shipwreck or something, or a relatively recent piece of waste, you know, uh, some vehicle that's been abandoned there or something, perhaps even by, you know, China, who knows. Um, but, you know, there's always that inquisitive part of my brain that thinks, you know, maybe it could have been something else. But I think it's a slim chance. But, you know, it did occur to me when a, a submarine, especially a nuclear submarine, hits an underwater object, you think, oh, well, I wonder. But, you know, as I say, extremely unlikely that that was the case. But it did make me think, you know, what would happen if it was a USO, a, you know, an unidentified submersed object, you know? And is this a reason why international cooperation is, is getting more and more essential at the moment? Because, you know, maybe there is actually some international cooperation already behind the scenes, you know, to avoid any kind of, you know, misunderstanding. So, for example, if America assumed that this was some kind of Chinese object and then it escalates tensions, what if it actually was some kind of USO or some kind of, uh, you know, non-human craft or base or who knows what, you know, what would actually happen in that case, you know? is there a potential that an event like that happening could actually trigger some kind of international conflict and if that was the case what would a non-human you know intelligence actually do about that do you think they would then step in i think it's, it's probably most likely that actually a, a non-human intelligence would not risk having any kind of collision with a is it with a u.s submarine for example and then they would just get out of the way but it did make me think about you know how does the US 
and China tension actually affects the UFO topic? Because it's fair to say that, you know, China sending warplanes over Taiwan a lot recently. There's there's obviously a huge power struggle going on where China's economy is rapidly catching up to where the US are and all this kind of thing. China are trying to expand their presence on the world stage and on the space side of things as well. And, you know, it did make me think of the broader context, really, with the UFO topic of, like, how could all of that, the, the tension there, and obviously the tension with Russia and other countries as well, but particularly China, you know, how could that be affecting the UFO topic? You know, could there be a, like a one-upmanship to do with hinting at having secret technology, you know, and, and that certainly would affect the amount of disinformation that's out there. Because if the US are hinting that they are, that we might have this, you know, completely you know unbelievable technology that that's you know generations ahead of anything that the chinese could have could that potentially be a tactic to um you know scare china into not not going into taiwan because they just don't know what the 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 us actually really have and that could be looked at a few different ways maybe the us does actually have you know, reverse engineering programs and craft and maybe even operational craft. Maybe China also does. And maybe, again, you know, Ross Coltart's talked about this a lot recently. Perhaps that could be the case and that's why the secrecy's been maintained for so long because everybody's working on trying to re- re- reverse engineer the same tech but nobody wants to give away how far along they are with that. Or, on the other hand, a different way to look at it, could be that actually none of this tech actually exists there is no reverse engineering program but the countries are just dropping hints that maybe they have just to kind of make other adversaries a bit wary i guess it all depends what angle you're coming at from really and what you actually want to you know how you want to interpret the information that's there but as i say um is an interesting one probably nothing but i just thought that would be worth mentioning because it's quite an interesting thought of what did it hit you know we, we may find out what it exactly what it was in the coming weeks but it did just make me think of the broader picture as well of how all these tensions that we have in the world at the moment with the us and china and russia and so on how that affects the ufo topic and as i say it links in with what a lot of people have been talking about recently with with ross coltart and so on but anyway on to the next thing and this is a really, really interesting story that uh, um, uh, I really wanted to get into. So Robert Salas um, ha- has released some information, like a press release, as a culmination of his crowdfunding efforts. And you might have seen uh, Robert Salas on the big phone home too. Um, he kind of cr- caused a bit of a stir with his with his grumpy kind of comments about Lou Elizondo. Now, look, I thought that was hilarious, to be honest with you. It, it was a bit out of order, but it was funny. <laughs> I can't I can't lie. Um, he obviously was frustrated that he wasn't getting to really kind of put his point forward and things like that. It was a bit uncalled for, really. And obviously, I love Lou Elizondo, so don't like anybody shouting at Lou Elizondo. But, but Robert Salas' comments were something along the lines of, Oh, I didn't realise this was the Lou Elizondo show. <laughs> and uh did make me chuckle. But yeah, he was very grumpy, kind of spat his dummy out, and eventually they sort of removed him from the programme. But um, I understand it, because look, at the end of the day, the guy's very passionate. The guy's, you know, he's, he's in his later years, and he's really making this push to try and get this information that... He, 
based on the things that he's experienced. He wants to get that out to the world. And when you're on a big platform and you're not really getting the opportunity to be able to, you know, make what you're saying front and centre, I understand where the frustration is, especially when, you know, patience can wear thin as you get into your older years and things. So, you know, I get it. And, and I really like Robert Salas as a guy. I've seen him on a few other interviews and his story is fascinating. So... Um, basically, what he's managed to put forward with this is he's, he's secured the funding for it through crowdfunding, and he's got a, a group of former U.S. Air Force officers to present uh, evidence of UFOs tampering with nuclear weapons. And Robert Salas's case in particular was he was actually um, one of the people in charge of basically the nuclear launch platform. Uh, one of the, I think it's the Minuteman um, uh, missile silo that he was in charge of. And they had a, a number of, I think it was something like 10 missiles and uh, a, a glowing uh, unidentified object appeared on the, on the base, over the base. And at that exact time, um, all of the missiles just went offline and went into an unlaunchable state, which is apparently if you look into the actual um, the systems and things that are in place, everything is designed so that not all of the missiles can go off at any one point because of obviously they need to maintain the uh, security presence of having the missiles available. And it's a really interesting case because not only did one of them go off, they all went off in quick succession and that was really unheard of. And it just so happened to be at the exact time that this unidentified object was, was over the top of their base. And this is going back way, 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 back into into history before drones and things were available so it kind of eliminates a lot of that side of things um and essentially yeah he was the on-duty commander of an underground launch control facility uh, and it was assigned to the maelstrom air force base montana and it was march the 24th 1967 and he's he's publicly said you know over the, the last couple of decades that that it was, um, yeah, I'm just reading my notes here, it was all 10 of his ICBMs became inoperable and that um, eight days earlier, um, on March the 16th, 1967, a similar incident occurred at a, another missile launch control facility. And his press conference that he set up will basically present witness testimony and, and, and other evidence of many such incidents. And the... Um, Actually, the first UFOs and nukes press conference was held on September the 27th, 2010, which Robert Sellers co-sponsored with uh, the researcher Robert Hastings, and that was extensively covered by the media across the world as well. Um, but this is uh, kind of like the follow-up to that. So we've got um, Robert Salas is going to be involved, as I say, the guy I've just been talking about. And then we've also got a guy called Robert Jameson, uh, former UA USAF captain and nuclear missile targeting officer. David Schindel, uh, former USAF captain and nuclear missile crew commander. And Robert Jacobs, a former USAF lieutenant and missile test photographic officer. And the idea is that these guys, as part of this new press conference, are going to um, discuss their involvement in UFO incidents at nuclear missile launch facilities and test sites during the Cold War era. And um, essentially, they're aiming to prove that this is a reality, that UFO activity occurred um, over nuclear weapon sites. And it's actually going to take place on Tuesday, October the 19th, 
um, obviously of this year. So I'm really, really interested as to how that all plays out because the nuclear connection is something we're hearing a lot about and um, I'm just really excited to see what comes of this and, and what maybe new evidence and things like that um, could be put forward. So definitely want to watch out for that. And you can check out some uh, of the other interviews that he's done. He actually, Robert Sowers actually did a really interesting interview with uh, Project Unity. So you can check that out if you type Robert Salas, it's S-A-L-A-S, um, and uh, Robert Salas Project Unity. You probably find it on YouTube, and I know it's on Spotify now as well because I was listening to it the other day. Um, so that's interesting, and I imagine there's others out there as well. But the thing is with me is that surely this is a huge news story. It's kind of baffling to me in a way that the rubber duck video has gone semi-viral and this thing hasn't really made as much of a splash. But then again, you know, no pun intended there. Didn't actually think of that, but the rubber duck splash. Um, but anyway, um, you know, perhaps that will be different when the actual press conference takes place. And I would really hope that it, that it is because, I mean, that is a very, very interesting development that um, I hope, you know, gets the, the attention that it deserves. And then finally then, uh, moving on to um, something else, we've got the Mars Perseverance rover has confirmed via images sent back that the Jezero, I hope I'm saying that right, crater was once an ancient lake with free flowing water feeding into the lake. So um, obviously the Perseverance rover is a, a probe like... Um, you know, little kind of vehicle thing which was sent up to Mars and has been beaming back photographs and taking rock samples and sending off its little helicopter to go on flights around Mars. And it's a, you know, a, a huge step forward for humanity to be able to actually do this stuff in the first place. You know, not to mention flying helicopters on a, on another planet for the first time. You know, it's, it's really big, um, some of these developments. And I, I don't think they necessarily get the right level of um, interest from the ufo community to be honest i'm quite surprised people don't talk about this kind of thing more but let's go into what the findings have been over the last few days so apparently um the there is now kind of proof of evidence of this particular lake existing uh, in the jazeera crater and they found um essentially evidence of a river feeding into the lake which actually existed 3.7 billion years ago so a long time and uh, they have they have reason to believe that there may be evidence of aqueous life under the sediment on the lake bed now they've not actually found any evidence of any biological life there or any kind of anything really at all but it's just speculation but now it's a case of they've got somewhere to actually look and the idea is the rover is actually taking rock samples, which I believe will be returned to Earth for analysis. I think it's a later mission. They're going to actually collect the samples and bring them back. And the, there's some sort of basic analysis taking place on the actual rover itself as well, apparently. But what it actually was was that satellite images suggested that the western part of the crater is actually strikingly similar to river deltas found here on Earth. And... The exciting thing was that this is actually being confirmed by the actual rover itself, taking pictures of the same location from inside the lake. Um, and that's really interesting stuff to me. I mean, apparently this lake was actually, they can tell that it was calm for much of the lake 
the lake's life before a dramatic change in climate led to massive flooding. Apparently, the, the evidence of this is huge boulders which were swept from tens of miles away and now sit on the lake bed. Um, and it just reminded me of, of very similar things that I've heard from Randall Carlson and the evidence that Randall Carlson's uh, presented to suggest massive floods on the earth and you know which, which these floods may or may not have wiped out you know ancient potentially advanced civilizations that were actually here on earth and it's um it's it's really fascinating to think that we we could have uh, uh, to think of what could have triggered you know the floods on mars and what could have actually been there before the floods you know billions of years is is an unbelievably long time that's kind of inconceivable really to a human but if there was something there there could have been complex life there could have been forests there could have been you know a lake teeming with life there could have been an advanced intelligent civilization there and there would be no trace of it left if if mars had an advanced civilization living on it 3.7 billion years ago and it was hit by a comet which triggered massive floods all across the planet and the planet lost its atmosphere as a result of the comet hitting you know what would actually be left by this point 3.7 billion years later you know there'd be nothing left and if there was anything left it'd be completely covered now i'm not suggesting that that's what i think is the case it's all speculative and um, it may be that actually there was nothing in this lake at all you know there literally there was nothing it was just a water filled area you know with no life no bacteria or nothing but even that that's kind of just as amazing if that actually turns out to be the case like you know what what would the implications of that be you know, because I mean, it's more interesting to say what would happen if they, they go down into this this crater, they dig down a bit below the, the top layer of the, the, you know, the soil that's there, the dust or whatever, and they find actual skeletons of like, you know, some kind of creatures. That would be mind blowing. But also, what would the implications be if they find that on Mars billions of years ago, there was, a, you know, a, a kind of a, a full on huge expanse of water and it was the right temperature to be liquid water and it existed for, for millions of years potentially and no life evolved in that lake. That would also be as profound because if that's the case and we actually find from something like this investigation that there was that lake, there was a literal hotbed you know, of life or the potential for life there and it didn't happen, surely that would be pretty profound and mind-blowing because that would suggest that there could be you know it would be a lot harder to find life outside of our planet because right there on mars there's been a potentially you know rich fertile breeding ground for life and it just never happened you know so i'm kind of coming at these kind of things from the point of view of it would be absolutely amazing if they found bacteria it'd be even more amazing if they found skeletal remains imagine if they found a building or a monument or you know something like there's been speculation about potential pyramid-like structures on mars and things like that you know i'm not ruining it out you know i'm not saying that it's the case either but if they found some evidence of that that would be extremely profound but you know what about if they find that there was all of the building blocks there but it just didn't happen that's kind of equally as profound and amazing and it makes us feel a lot more lonely in the universe doesn't it if that's the case especially if we 
move on from that we look at a lot of other bed, lake beds all around Mars, find the same thing. Then we go to some other planets and find the same thing. It's like, what? Are we the only ones then? Like, you know, that that's just as interesting in its own way. And, um, you know, obviously the wild theories that humans originated on Mars and then fled the planet when they realised it was going to be hit by an asteroid and they came to Earth and started all over again here. And then there were multiple cataclysms here as well, which wiped out all of our ancient knowledge and, you know, things like that. Absolutely amazed by the concepts of all of that. And, you know, it's really interesting. And, you know, it's one of them. We live in a very, very strange universe where strange things happen. And maybe that is the case. But these kind of things are, you know, hopefully going to shed some light as to whether whether or not any of that could be vaguely possible, you know. And I think what really excites me is that if they don't find any life, that's fascinating. If they find traces of bacteria, that's fascinating. And if they find traces of, like, animal life, that's even more fascinating. Whatever comes of it, it's, pretty good. it's going to be pretty interesting. So, yeah, as you can tell, I'm quite excited about this. And... Um, I think the, uh, the the Perseverance rover, etc., is, again, not talked about very much by the UFO community, which is quite surprising, really, when you consider the implications of what actually could be found. But I think it's that thing of there's a desire to be, you know, the first to reveal the next big UFO video, and everybody knows the, the big uh, impact that, you know, some of the previous videos have had, and, you know, everybody sees what happens when Jeremy Corbell announces that he's going to be doing another one of his high noon videos, and don't get me wrong, I get excited about those videos. I, I'd, Like I've said earlier, I'm not really a big fan of the hype, but, you know, is what it is. got to publicise your video some way, and everybody has their own ways of doing it. Fair play to him and i'm always interested to see what the next video is going to be as well but you know the tendency especially with social media is you know everyone wants to be the one to drop the next big video and obviously the the perseverance mission is is a long game which is not as exciting in the here and now you know which is kind of understandable especially in the instant gratification world that we live in 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 this day and age with social media and everybody wants that instant buzz you know so maybe that's a part of it but um as I say, I would like uh, very much to see what comes of the, the Perseverance mission and, and what we learn from that over the next couple of years as well. It's going to be very, very interesting to see. So that about wraps everything up for today. So like I say, there's quite a few bits that we've talked about there. So I wanted to get that in. Um, I might be a little bit quieter in the coming weeks uh, because I've got an imminent arrival. My, my little baby girls is going to be... Um, born um imminently basically so uh, i may be a little bit quieter than usual on social media and uh as i say please do say a little prayer for us that everything goes smoothly and keep us in your thoughts and um i will catch you guys in the next episode you are podcast.